because you are an individual creation within the large system. And if more of us are getting in tune with what that is, not the things, but knowing who you are and, and being able to expand that is part of this new expansion. And what the ancients left behind is not only technological blueprints for how it works and where to go and how to look for it, but also how to operate yourself. And that's where the Book of the Twelve Gates comes in, where it's not only a hero's journey, but it's like you must surpass your fear about this. And once you do, you go to the next gate. And isn't that what life feels like? You go to a yoga retreat and you're like, I'm finally at peace. And then some, you come back two days later and somebody pisses you off. There's the work, right? Back to gate one. You got to go back <laughs> until you've gone through those, those pieces. And um... <sighs> Melissa Tittle, welcome on the show. What are you most excited about? right now in your life um the possibilities what's going to happen next um there's so much information coming out there's 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 so much expansion happening that it's that's i think what what people there's that's what that um people are coming up with you know like that 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 wall they're coming up against that fear is because there's there's just so much expansion happening right now and so sometimes when it feels really scary it's because there's something really transforming into something else. And that is what I'm excited about. And I know that, you know, me included, because I'm human, um, I'm a little scared, but also really excited because that means that not only are things changing, they're transforming into something hopefully better. Yeah. And it's really interesting, your background, because you grew up in a household of scientists. You're the daughter of an Air Force veteran. And... Really, you've been exposed to possibilities your whole life because from a very early age, you were really interested in things that not a lot of people <laughs> at that age were asking themselves about. And really, your your career has mainly been focused on exploring a lot of different mysteries from aliens, ancient civilizations, hidden codes that we have in ancient sites. I wanted to ask you just to start, what do you think is the biggest mystery that humanity is facing right now at this point in history? The biggest mystery. What does it mean to be human? Hmm. That is the biggest mystery. Everything leads, all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to what does it mean to be human? The alien conversation, the paranormal conversation the uh the conversation of metaphysical stuff all relays into this idea of what does it mean to be human who are we it's like we're at a crisis trying to understand our place in the universe hmm. and when you were working you know you've been working in paramount studios you were working on movies like mission impossible star trek just so people get the context of the type of movies also a lot of tv series that you've worked on mm -hmm. but there was a moment in your life where you got a psychic reading and a woman told you or a man um told you when you do this show it will be for the rest of uh. your life so what <laughs> what happened in that psychic reading 
Oh my God. Um, so I was at this point, I mean, Hollywood's draining and I was like, I'm, I'm going to give up. I'm going to start a cookie business. So I started a, um, cookie business called sugar girl and it had like cute little pinup labels. And, and so I sold all these cookies to all the studios and all the, the networks and production companies I work for, uh, in Hollywood, you do a lot of these gifts, not only for the holidays, but, um, we call them kiss ass gifts, right? You just send them to people and they're really cute and they're really pricey and, and I was like, this is going to be my next, this is going to be my business. I'm giving up on TV. I'm not producing anymore. And uh, so I got a psychic reading asking about this business because with between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we sold like 30,000 boxes of cookies. And I'm like, I am on the road to making this like, I'm going to be one of those like cupcake sugar girls, right? Um, cookie girls. Um, and the woman says... <laughs> Uh, the woman says to me, she's like, this business is going to fail, but you're going to get a call uh, about a TV show that you're going to produce. And then it's going to be the trajectory for the rest of your life. I'm like, what are you talking about? No way. I'm not going back. I hate it. Everybody's jerks. I'm not producing anything. And then I get a call for uh, Ancient Aliens um, to produce the first the first season it was just coming out and they're like we really would like to have you be part of this you know given your background and all the shows you've worked on we think we'd be perfect and um i thought about it and i'm like oh, i guess so it was good money i like the topic and then legitimately the first month that i was there and i thought to myself oh yeah i'm supposed to be here and i never looked back <laughs> hmm. it's like that feeling of this feels familiar um, and, yes. and covering these these mysteries feels familiar. At that point, that's that's where I get curious is when you get pitched a show that's literally called Ancient Aliens, what was your sort of purview on the whole alien um, conversation at that point? And also, how has it evolved since then? That's a really good question. Um, my alien, you know... <sighs> God, I have the least sexiest answer for this because obviously I get interviewed about aliens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a household where we talked about aliens. We talked about different religions. We talked about ancient civilizations. We we debated the gods and goddesses of uh, of ancient Greece. You know, like it 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 was kind of like. Yeah, that seems like it would be true. You know, there wasn't like there wasn't a part of me that needed to build up a a resistance or, or not a resistance, but like a an understanding. I was I, I already felt that like, well, that would be a probability given how the universe works and where we are in it. Uh, you know, those are conversations we would have as a kid. So, you know, didn't it didn't phase me. I guess what blew my mind, as you said just before, was that when I was in the research stage, when I was getting into the shows that I was having to produce, I really knew this stuff before. And I felt my whole body activated. Like I could, I, like my brain was tingling. Like I had, I was where I was supposed to be. And the alien thing for me is a byproduct of understanding not only these ancient civilizations, but really understanding what we're capable of as being human. So to me, even though I've done all these alien shows, the alien conversation for me is story B. Story A is we need to know, we need to understand not only our past as humans, 
but um, what we can do in the future. And I think that a lot of these ancient civilizations and these esoteric understandings really hold those keys that uh, I think if we embrace, we can really start to understand what we're capable of. And, and that is what just, I couldn't stop researching it. I had yeah. just found my, my place, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of people feel that sort of sense of urgency or calling about many different things in their life. But I heard you say once that you felt an urgency to not only find the truth, but to find a way out of the matrix. So the matrix is probably a concept that people have because of the movie, the matrix, and they understand mm -hmm. it from that side. How do you understand the matrix in your eyes? Have you, how have you lived it? Um, God, I have so many stories about that. So I could tell when I was little, I had this thought, I don't know, it must've been like eight, nine, somewhere in there that you're a kid and all the adults tell you what to do. And at some point you're going to be an adult and you get to have control of your life. And I remember thinking, I, this adulting thing doesn't seem that sexy. It doesn't seem like that cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it didn't seem like everybody was having a great time because they were the adults. Like when you're a kid, you think, oh, if I was just the adult, I could do what I wanted. But I could really see that that really wasn't the case. So there was this kind of like seed planted in my head, like there's got to be something else that we're not seeing, right? Um, and then I, um, there's lots of other moments in between. But, but I can say that I remembered when I worked at Ancient Aliens, we were on the 13th floor of the CNN building in Hollywood, like right wow. off of Sunset Boulevard. And, um, you know, usually they skip... It's like, you know, from from uh, 12 to 14, they skip it. But for some reason, they made an actual level 13. And uh, that was the whole level was our um, office for Ancient Aliens for that production company, which I thought was super ironic. But we'll get back to that later. Yeah. Um, and I was I was deep in research. You know, at some point, your head just hurts because you're just like scrolling through all this stuff and you're trying to connect the dots and you know, who's going to be interviewed. And it's just like, oh, it's time consuming. So I, I, I get up from my desk and I, and I look down from the 13th floor and I'm looking at Sunset Boulevard and then Hollywood Boulevard is parallel to that. And then there's a Hollywood sign. And I'm looking down at all the riffraff, you know, Sunset Boulevard in that area is sort of a disaster, right? There's just like uh, billboards, there's people like trying to get to the sites and then there's homeless people and then there's chaos you know, dressing costume. <laughs> yeah, it's complete chaos. Um, you know, kind of funny sometimes chaos, but you know, complete chaos. And I thought to myself, I feel more aligned to the stuff that I'm reading, which people would call crazy <laughs> mm. than to, to all of this craziness that seems to be some kind of organized mess below me, you know, uh, in the, on the ground level. And um, I thought to myself, what is that? What is that? Yes, I know I've heard the, the word matrix and simulation at that point because the movie was out. But, but what does that mean? And, um, and I think like I, I really started to try to, to, to see life through that way. Like where, where's the existence pattern that everybody falls into? And where is the, what's the outlier? And is there one? 
And um, there's many instances in my life where I could say I was in that that the matrix version and I was in the outside of the version. And I think a lot of people, they experience outside of that when they're on psychedelics or they go through some huge meditation retreat and some people hit, they go outside that wall, they hit the wall and they're like, they're oh my God. I'm piercing amazing. the veil. Yes, unity, like this love that you that that you've not felt before or you have but you're feeling again and um and uh and then you come back in and you got to integrate that and then you're back in the stuff right and uh so like there's the difference like there's the difference right there but but as i you know as i i started we're going to talk about this project this project has been like a 10-year research project where not only have i tried some of those methods myself but i wanted to see if a matrix a simulation does exist oh then we must have evidence of it in ancient text, calculations, scientific understanding. There's got to be some evidence of it. Uh, and that's kind of where the, I, I started gathering little pieces and nuggets that I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What's super interesting is that this didn't really come out of nowhere. When I, I'm sure people can relate to this when they're, when they're kids, they might have a dream that they start having over and over again. And, you know, for some people, it may be like fairies or whatever. But for you, it was this recurring symbol that was like sort of in a way haunting you as a child. And do you want to tell us about that vision when you were dressed up as a foreign person <laughs> in foreign clothes in the middle of the desert? What, what was going on with that recurring yeah. dream as a kid? The dream, the haunting dream. I have to say, um, I don't dream too much. Do you? I I'm dreaming more actually recently, awesome. which is interesting. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, mm. I I think I do, but I just don't remember what my dreams are. But um, but I had this dream when I was a kid, probably around the same time that I was questioning. There's got to be something else than what this this adult life, what I have to look forward to, you know. Yeah. Um, and um. Sorry. You're good, you're good. My dog's losing it. Can you hold on one second? Yeah, yeah. So I had this dream probably around the same time that I was around when I was asking those questions about what does it mean to be an adult? And um, it was this dream that I was... Now, remember, I'm young, right? So somewhere around 10 years old, I'm dreaming of a desert, like this, this specific-looking desert which we can talk about with that, where I think that is actually. Um, and I'm the POV, POV the, the point of view of the person. I'm walking in the desert. So I'm seeing the desert through the person's eyes. And I'm dressed in these weird clothes, like drapey, dark clothes. And uh, I'm holding a staff. And for some reason, you know, it's, it's completely desolate. There's nothing. I put the staff in a certain area and below me, ripples out these uh concentric circles um almost like like something under the sand was moving into these concentric circles and then all and then all of a sudden these 12 lines from the point of where i i hit it come out and like light up like completely like light up underneath me and around in this this circle of concentric circles mm -hmm. and then it it's done that's the end and I don't, um, 
I remembered it because it was so, I was there. So it just felt, I, I, I could feel the weight of me holding that staff. But the crazy thing was it kept repeating itself over and over and over Calling again. Calling your attention. And yeah. And, and it was like up and, you know, into my, I'd say late 20s, um, maybe early 30s. It just was like, oh, and here's that thing again. And then, and then I would start to, after that, like I didn't have the dream, but it was so in my head that I was really looking at it. Like, what is it trying to tell me, right? What is it that I'm looking for? And of course, through all my work, I started to gather that I was seen in every ancient culture, whether we know who they are or not, whether we see a rock painting that's 40 to 50,000 years old, or we're looking at a, a structure or a hieroglyph, we see all of these concentric circles. Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of meanings for them. And people have come up with why they draw the concentric circle. Um, but then I thought, well, why is it in my, why have humans gravitated towards this symbol? Uh, forever. And so I started kind of collecting that data. And then eventually, what was the point of the 12 spokes? Like, mm -hmm. what was that whole thing? What was the point of the center? Like, what was I hitting? Like, <laughs> I just what, got what got made you what made you want to count the lines that you were seeing in the dream? Was it just like, it, that's interesting that they keep becoming 12 every time? Yeah, well, but I, I could tell you, I mean, maybe this, this, uh, it, it it sounds like I'm a little bit on the spectrum or something, but <laughs> but I'm like uh, I like count stairs like okay. so it's like natural like I've been doing that forever like it's just random like I'll see something and I'll count how many like lines yeah. there are. I count know. how many times I blink per day. It, really? <laughs> nah. Oh my god! I was like, wow, you're you're worse than me. <laughs> I'm worse. I'm worse. <laughs> oh god! I was gonna feel better about myself. I was like, well, you know, he counts how many times he blinks. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess not. No, it's just me counting stairs and lines and in circles and, and stuff like that. So obviously, if I've had that dream so many times, knowing how my brain works, I was like, okay, one, two, three, four, like, how many are there? Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's how I kind of got like obsessive. But that's like something I do all the time. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm weird. Well, we know now that numbers i mean you talk to someone like robert edward grant that understands mathematics in a way that my brain can't comprehend but mm -hmm. you start seeing how these ancients would utilize numbers in that language to portray things that were connected with the macro with the micro so if you want to talk to us a little bit about the pyramids for example what you know uh, graham hancock found in his research with the with a 23.5, um, what, what is going on there? Um, so, so part of my research in this uh, documentary, Code 12, is that I've kind of put started to put these symbols and these lines together to kind of formulate what felt like a technology almost, like a, like a, like a deep understanding of how the universe works. And um, the like really constructing that with the concentric circles and um, inter interview different people, right? So different people that are into understand vibration from sound, um, quantum physicists, uh, geneticists, that like a dip, all the understandings of, of this pattern that kept the concentric circles with the 12 points, right? So we, um, 
what I noticed in the ancient text, specifically ancient Egypt, uh, most of the the um, the tombs of Valley of the Kings, specifically um, Seti the First, I think in the Temple of Seti First, this is this is available, but. But there's all of these um, there's all of these angles of 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 certain angles with this staff that that the um, the people are holding to tell the story of the underworld, yeah. right? Um, and I didn't think anything of it, but I knew that the book of the the book of the dead, the book the um, the the 12 gates were really important because they tell a transition through um what they're saying is the underworld so in some instance we could say death but i would say that the transition for you to actually be able to become powerful in your body the 12 gates gives you kind of like here's the blueprint for playing the game right wow. and in in this Book of the Gates specifically, which is what we talk about in the movie, they have laid out all the symbols that I'm talking to you about. And they have they have encoded in their understandings and different different things that you have to pass so you can get to the next gate. Once you pass that gate, then you go to the next one. And you're met with a different fear, a different situation of what you need to accomplish. Sort of like their version of the hero's journey. Exactly. 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 Yes, like the hero's journey. Um but one thing that was really interesting, and I interviewed a guy um, named Isaac Rodriguez, who um, who legitimately called me out of the blue. I don't take calls. I don't necessarily answer all my LinkedIn messages or Instagram messages. Sometimes I do. And for some reason, I was like, okay, I'm going to answer him because he's like, I just came back from Egypt and I have something that I want to show you. And I don't usually take that offer, but for some reason, my intuition was like, you should definitely talk to this person. And he said, I have been working on the 13th Zodiac. And I noticed something really interesting in this journey of kind of trying to uncover the 13th Zodiac because it's sort of hidden in Egypt, that all of these staffs that they're holding are on a certain trajectory, a certain angle that equals 23.5. Now, Graham Hancock, I can't remember what book he wrote it in. Um, he wrote that that um the which is super complicated for me to explain but he he wrote that um given the placement of the great pyramid the great pyramid itself given the placement of the poles and the actual degree that it's at it equals 23.5 mm-hmm. so whoever built the great pyramid not only aligned the great pyramid to uh, what we think could be this, this, these huge story points with the holding of the staff, but also twenty three point five is the angle of the axis of of the Earth as it spins around the Sun in its rotation. Right, that's mm-hmm. why we have perfect seasons. Uh, you know, a lot of other planets they're not like that. They're they're polarizing, which is why they're either really cold or they're really hot. So twenty three point five is this sweet spot for creation for for earth to exist so what are why would all of these strange angles be depicted completely at 23.5 in the book of uh of the book of the 12 gates the book of the dead this this understanding i think in um 
Abu Simbel, Simbel, they have uh, an image where um, Ramses is is spiking down on, a, on an angle, like into into these people that had their their hands open, but in a mantra. So people will tra- will will look at that um, carving and say, "Oh, you know, he's striking down the prisoners," but they're but they have mantras they have mantras so but the angle of this this staff that he's striking in is 23.5 so what's 23.5 even the freemasons their symbol is is an angle 23.5 so what so what what is all this connected to so the great pyramid the axis of the earth the the kind of all the secret understanding of of this power is at 23.5 now one of the one of the things that uh of course the the great pyramid is the greatest mystery right it's one Mm -hmm. of the greatest mysteries who built it why do they build it everybody's got so many ideas but if if we look back to the emerald tablets toth says that he built the great pyramid and he built the great pyramid to um create uh i'm going to paraphrase his words because it depends on what uh emerald tablet translation you have but he basically built the great pyramid to emit some kind of frequency across the planet um and he talks about how they decided to create this barrier between um the light and the dark so something had happened this is during the fall of atlantis this is during the this is in the emerald tablets that uh, the fall of Atlantis had happened because um, there was an infiltration into the blood of of humans, of advanced humans, you know, whatever you want to argue that they were in Atlantis. And um, that infiltration needed to stop. So he creates this new world using the Great Pyramid to admit this frequency. What that sounds like to me is that he's creating a system, a new morphogenic field that cuts us off from the rest of the universal existence. So we could say other dimensions. That that makes more sense. Not like we can't see the universe, but we can't see other dimensions um, for our own good kind of thing. But, But now we're at a point where it's kind of not for our own good. We're at a point where we've recycled every single thought Every single idea, everything that's happening right now has already happened. We've already probably played the same roles. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the pattern just keeps going and everyone's like, when's it going to change? But the, the change is not within the, in the system that only has certain amount of coding. The, the change is being able to morph into that higher existence by by understanding that this this field has kind of run its course this morphogenic field and uh, by changing the morphogenic field which is where all the consciousness lives uh, where all thoughts live that's why someone says there's no such thing as an original thought because it's all there in the morphogenic field by changing that aspect we start to move out of that frequency and into um something something else i mean i don't want to say better but i want to say something else something 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 beyond this this state of existence there's so many directions we could go with right now but (laughs) i want to also connect that to the 13th zodiac for because for people that don't know you look at the zodiac 
and then there are 12 you know from mm -hmm. from pisces all the way you know down to aries and what you what's going on there is this this person that that contacted you and showed you this is in in code uh 12 mm -hmm. he showed you that even in the hieroglyphs in in ancient egypt in the temples they show that there is this zodiac that it's called oh oh can you tell me the name real quick Oh, Ophicus, Ophicus, there we go. Um, <laughs> but it's actually placed into the center of the zodiac. It's not in mm -hmm. one of the outer spheres. It's literally in the center. So mm -hmm. he's actually connecting that to, is that a way when humanity goes through all the cycles of, of the zodiac, will we be able to go into that center and enter a new dimension, which many people are calling the fifth dimension, Mm -hmm. what's going on there with with the zodiac and, and these 13 from the 12 to the 13 then became the one there's a lot of things going on right now <laughs> <laughs> so many numbers can't keep track well um so one of the things that according to quantum physicist creates a better way to traverse space and time is uh using a sacred geometry shape of a dodecahedron, which is 12 points, 12 faces, right? Hmm. Um, by, by using that shape, um, uh, the center would be 13 if we're counting, right? So the center would be 13. So the, the way to use that shape to traverse space and time is to, to go through the center of the shape and then go into another dodecahedron, right? You're traversing space and time. You're, it's, a, it's an easier way to, to function. What I found out later that's not in the documentary um, because I'm, I'm trying to finish a book on it because it just have more information because it is a lot of information, but why not have more? <laughs> <laughs> a little part two. Um, yeah, a little part two. A um, sequel. A sequel, yeah, that'd be great. Um, that in 2003, a, uh, a quantum physicist specialist in discovering black holes, um, actually, uh, his name is, and it's going to escape me, he is French, Lumina de la Pierre. Do not quote me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but um, but you can always look up what I'm about to tell you. It was so a good French that, accent you did there. Yeah. You, did you like it? It was, it was, it was good. good. It was good. <laughs> it was good. I should move to Paris and pretend that I'm not American, which they love. They love that. <laughs> they definitely do not frown on that at hmm. all. Um, yeah, they would murder me if they heard me say that. For all French people, I am so sorry. I am. <laughs> so this French dude, what what this did French he discover? So he um, he uh, he specializes in black holes, and he was using a certain uh, a certain equipment to kind of see if he could map out the universe. Because if you could map out the universe um, topography, if he could he could have some kind of topography, he could figure out where the black holes were. But what he found. What he discovered, which I can't believe this wasn't big news. When I discovered this, I thought to myself, how is nobody talking about this? Everybody's talking about everything else, but what there this guy There might be a reason for that. <laughs> That's why we're here. Like a million years ago. Hmm. Yeah. So he um, he discovered that, that, uh, that, that there is a shape to the universe. There's a shape to our universe. And it's finite. Mm. It's finite it's it's a structure and it's that's it 
right? And it, you know what it's shaped like? A dodecahedron. Okay. Hmm. And and if you look at the nodes of the planet of just planet Earth, they they've also have that mapped out as a dodecahedron. There's um there's there's um a Buckminster Fuller who is an architect. He he maps this whole out, right? There's tons of books on it, right? And then if you go smaller, you'll find that same shape everywhere of how structure of time and space, right? Anyway, so I'm getting what I'm, I'm going to get to the 13 in a second. So this understanding, if, if the, if our universe, that doesn't mean there's not other universes out there, but that we could be a bubble within a huge existence, which a finite bubble shaped like a dodecahedron. Yeah. <laughs> that the way out of the universe would be through. Mm. But but if we were to send a rocket uh, from trajectory of Earth to the end of our finite universe, we would eventually just come back around. We would just yeah. do the whole thing all over again. There wouldn't be any way, because that's not through. Through is going through using the dodecahedron space and time. Right, mm -hmm. thirteen being the middle. Yeah. So Ophicus is apparently the thirteenth zodiac, and one of the things that Isaac Rodriguez brought to my attention after he got back from Egypt was that that there the only that the uh, temple of Dendera, Hathor's temple, is specifically coined uh, or specifically about the zodiacs. Right, the, mm -hmm. the zodiac. There's a room on the top with a circular zodiac with all the zodiac. And um, and there's also Ophicus in there in the middle, um, slightly, but no one's really looking for it because nobody really talks about Ophicus. Is that the one that's completely like blacked out? No, so that's <laughs> okay. in the main hall where they have all the zodiacs and they're all in trajectory of when their time period is. And in between Scorpio and Sagittarius, is Ophicus and it's completely blacked out. And when he showed me the picture, I thought he was. It, I thought he actually took a marker to it because it was just too dark and clean. Yeah. And he said that he he spoke to a guard, um, and he said, he said, hey, why are why is nobody cleaning that one spot there? And um, and they're like, oh, we're gonna get to it, and and you know, we just. You know, we don't have a big enough ladder. We don't have a big enough ladder. Like, but everything else is immaculate. It's beautiful in there. If anybody's ever been to the Temple of Dendera, I don't know. Have you been there? No. Not oh, yet. it's just amazing. It's it's got all the colors still. So you're telling me they cleaned everything except for this uh Ophicus, which is in between Scorpio and Sagittarius. What's also really interesting about Ophicus is that Ophicus within the zodiac, the sky. Is is not only in the center of of our twenty three point five existence in the in the universe on our angle, it's also the center of the galaxy. Okay. It's 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 literally in the middle of of the center of the galaxy. And ancient texts, whether it's it's a Mayan or Egyptian, um, or um, uh, I think. Yeah, Hindu. They they talk about that. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this. Uh, you know, whatever they wanted to call it, but the, the symbol is Ophicus, is a man holding a snake or wrestling with a snake, which is which is the symbol of Ophicus. And all these different cultures talk about this is the merging of the worlds. This is 
this is the point. This is either the creation point or the end point or the, or the point where the worlds collide. This is it. So here we have an understanding of space-time, quantum physics, you know, possibly our, our universe at the moment is a shape like a dodecahedron and it's finite. And the ancients are saying, this is the way to travel through. This is the way to travel through to another existence, another universe, um, based on the center with the snake and the Ophicus, Ophicus character. Of course, they didn't call it Ophicus, but they all had this understanding of, of where the merge or where the worlds merge together, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And, and here's where we're really going to push the paradigm, because when you start studying the ancients, especially the Egyptians, mm -hmm. they talk about, well, this was coming from, from, from Code 12 when you talk to William Henry, where he started seeing these, this powerful device in ancient texts, the staff of Moses, the, the mm -hmm. wand, rod of Moses. Mm -hmm. He tracked it back to ancient Egypt and he saw that th there was this like ancient technology that they had that might be even connected to this interdimensional travel that we're talking about now with this 13th zodiac, the center of the universe. What does that have to do with anything? So William Henry has been working on um, his own research on the Osiris device. Um, the Osiris device is a, a strange structure that um, was discovered in Seti the First Temple, which is at Abydos. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's in some other places too, but I can't remember where. But, but in the early 1900s, um, I can't remember the name of the Egyptologist, but he had kind of put together these pieces that they were kind of discovering in Seti the First. And it, it created this strange looking device. It almost looked like the Ark of the Covenant on the bottom. And it had a head and it had a staff. Um, and it looked like some kind of device that you would, you would activate. You know, it wasn't just one piece. It wasn't just the Ark of the Covenant. Again, we don't know if that's true, but it had like some kind of box thing. And then it had these, um, this staff and then this, this structure. And they called it the head of a, uh, the Osiris device because Osiris is the, um, the, the story goes, you know, he's, he's a, he's a god. He's not, he's not necessarily a god yet, but mm -hmm. he gets killed. And then he gets brought back to life and then he comes back as a God. So he, yeah. he goes through this resurrection like Jesus does, right? Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. So he goes through the resurrection process, the suffering comes back as a God, right? So the, I thought it was really interesting that they, that this is called the Osiris device because it's a resurrection device. It's, it's as if whoever used it, according to William Henry, was able to access all space and time and travel through it by using this device and being able to return back into the current body using the device. Um, now, how they did it, I'm not sure, but given that the, the images and the pictures of the Osiris device literally has all the things that are in the Indiana Jones movie, you know, mm -hmm. like the Staff of Ra, the Ark of the Covenant, the Covenant, the Holy Grail, right? Like this... They, all the pieces are together to form one structure that you have to think if 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 the story is true, if for some reason Atlantis fell, Toth built this great pyramid to protect everybody. Well, 
some people still knew how to get out and they created a device to do so. So they could still be in contact with universal energy. You know, even if our energy or even if our universe is a is a set finite dodecahedron, if that is true, we are only operating in three dimensions of that reality. So think of all the other realities. Mm-hmm. And who dismantled that? And then there's pieces all over, right? We hear we hear about the Holy Grail, we hear about the Ark of the Covenant, we hear about the Staff of Ra. All those pieces have been scattered. They're all over the place. Everyone's always looking for them. To do what? Put it back together so that we can activate the system and 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 uh, kind of redo our morphogenic field, our structure. Um, you know, that's the bigger question. And uh, so William Henry really dives into that and how. I think an interesting thing, and I didn't dive into it too much in the documentary, but I did kind of mention it, is that one of the things that he mentioned mentions is that is that there has to be a male and a female operating it for the system to work. And I think that's a really important point. It's not just that somebody can have it and then it works. I think that there's a really there's a really cautionary tale in most of these ancient texts. That says if you're going to operate a machine, we'll call it technology for the sake of this conversation, um, you have to be symbiotic with its energy, and and symbiotic in that energy, uh, you always see with the Osiris device a man and a woman. You know, usually it's a woman operating it and SETI mm-hmm. in this case, you know, running the machine. And the reason is, is, is to create a symbiosis with how the universe works uh, with magnetic and electric energy, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So I think that um, there's a cautionary tale there that you can, you can have all the power you want in the world, but you won't be able to operate the machine unless you're symbiotic with its nature. Huh. There was a point in, in Code 12 where you, you sort of said, am I getting too close to a truth that I shouldn't really be diving into. Um, There's even a moment where you went to get um, some questions in an interview with Dr. Jerry Rivera Dugenio, Mm -hmm. and it was like in a hidden barn somewhere, hidden, you know, away, (laughs) Um, all mystical, all low key. Um, But what, so was there any point in all of this research where you said, am I pushing the veil too much? Am I going too deep? Um, do I stop here? Was there any that of that fear of, should I should I just stop seeking and, and leave things as they are? Or you still wanna go further with the research? Um, I mean, there's always moments, right? There's always bumps in the road where um, you get someplace and then you just feel, you feel, feel like the energies that don't want you to do it are making your life a little bit difficult. And I could say that, honestly, that this journey has not been easy for that. It's like, it's like you get to a place and you're like, oh my God, that's it. And then you start to write it and you get into it. And then all of a sudden you'll have like bombarded with energy and thoughts. And, you know, I don't even know where they come from, but but you, it's just so weird. It's like you get to a certain, I see this a lot with um, the spiritual community. They get to a level and then it, it's almost like other energies come after them in, in strange ways, however that manifests itself. But um, I'm I'm pretty stubborn. So um, I could say along this journey that 
I was like, okay, well, that sucked. So who's who? Who can I call to help me with this one? You know, Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you protect yourself then from from these energies when you're when you're going down rabbit holes and seeking information that maybe a certain power doesn't want you to to look into or understand? I mean, we even see this going on right now in the governments around the world with the with the alien conversation there are mm -hmm. a lot of cover-ups that are going on I, i'm guessing this is the same there might be information that is so sacred or, or or even not to the level of understanding that humanity is ready for but i also think and i agree with you that humanity is ready for this information i do too and i'm hoping that that becomes stronger than the opposition um yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds crazy when you say, you know, you feel like you're being attacked on an energy level because you can't really pinpoint it on a physical level per se. But I mean, I try start to, uh, try a lot of techniques. Um, I call Sonia Grace sometimes. She was just on the show. We, I know. We, we I saw her. that. <laughs> I love, yeah. I, and I'm like, I can't get rid of this, whatever it is. Can you check it out? Because um, she's amazing that way. Um, yeah, but I do I do all sorts of techniques. But one of the things that, that I think is really important is figure out what are your thoughts versus what are thoughts that are being perpetuated in your head. So... Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of manifestation talks. They talk about this, like if you if you think about a thought long enough, then it becomes reality. Well, that is the point of a attack is to create doubt, to create thoughts in your head, to um, and so really knowing who you are, like knowing when you're having a bad day as Melissa versus having a bad day as Melissa, but with all these other thoughts. Which ones are mine? And which ones can I own? Yeah. And um, that's really hard to do. But I think when you get to when you when you spend enough time meditating and understanding all when you get into a place of using your techniques, however you use them, if you feel like there's still a resistance, then it might be something else kind of in, in your space. And I don't know, I just think that like, if I was really positive and I was really like on a roll and all of a sudden I just get hit with a whole bunch of doubt and um, sadness and anger for some reason, then I'm like, um, hmm, I wonder what this is. <laughs> Who does this belong to? Yeah. Who does this belong to? I would like to return it, please. <laughs> <laughs> you briefly mentioned the morphogenic field and the hundredth monkey concept that I'd love to dive into so people can understand because this has mm -hmm. a lot to do with the thoughts that are coming through the ideas the inventions so what is that story of the hundredth monkey the study that they did essentially um with the monkeys eating sweet potatoes <laughs> i don't mm -hmm. know where it was in the world <laughs> oh yeah so the hundredth monkey is a um famous scientific study that was done god i think it was done like in the 80s or something mm -hmm. they um they, they were studying uh, monkeys on an island outside the, the coast of Japan. And a couple of monkeys started uh, washing sweet potatoes and um, 
and eating them in a certain way, like peeling them and eating them a certain way. And it was easier for them to eat the sweet potatoes. And then all of a sudden it spread. So then everybody, everybody in the group started watching and being like, okay, I'm going to wash them and do them like this. So, cause it was easier for them to eat the sweet potatoes in this, this fashion. Um, and then once a hundred monkeys on that Island had figured this process out yeah. and were doing it for some reason, overnight monkeys on the mainland also were picking up this habit of washing sweet potatoes and scaling they were separated by a body of water they were separated by a body of water like they can't they can't hear them (laughs) so that like that that theory where like a bunch of like seven wise men came over on a boat like across the atlantic and they're like let let me show you how to build a pyramid like that's where that I'm not sure if that worked out exactly that way. And this is why this study is really important that there is, they, they figured out that there's a morphogenic field that connects this species together and that the consciousness, a, a monkey on the mainland picked it up in the consciousness and started doing it. And then it spread and then everybody started doing it in the mainland without ever communicating island monkeys, mainland monkeys, not friends. They didn't. They, they didn't get together. One didn't get on a boat. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. So the whole concept was this idea must exist for humans. That we as a species must must share a morphogenic field. And if we do, what what are the things being put into our consciousness? And um, that's a really important thing because we're always grabbing things from our consciousness. And I think what what Code Twelve the movie is really trying to prove is that one, we have a field, it's been created, we've used all of our thoughts in that process, really not getting where we want to get because now as a expansive human species, we're kind of like, okay, so what's next? (laughs) Mm -hmm. War and everybody living in hierarchy and it's not like, do we have to do this still? Like, is this really where we're going? That is outside, I believe, in another field. And if we can access that, uh, or we can change what's in this field, we'll be able to access that that other field. We'll be able to change this field and uh, gather more expansive uh, knowledge of the universe. And yeah. so that that scientifically proves that we are all connected in our consciousness, right? And that everything bad and good and ugly and amazing is all there. But it's not what we choose to put our mind to. But one of the things that the the, the biggest teachers in this space talk about is like not, not what could happen, but what do you want to happen? What does it feel like, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know what happened to that first monkey on the island who was like, this sucks. Nobody he got fat. He just potatoes. ate a lot of sweet potatoes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I really want the sweet potato and nobody can figure it out and I'm going to figure it out. And he figured it out. He changed the field and then everyone was like wait what is he doing he's eating the sweet potatoes that's what we have to do what is that one thing that allows to change the field completely and i think really understanding the past really understanding our historical pattern as humans and all the things that we keep doing what is what's that one thing that's outside of our normal existence yeah and you've said that if we follow this concept of the hundredth monkey we need enough people to understand their potential to disrupt the simulation that has been put into place. So that goes back to what we've not even touched, but are we living in a simulation? Have you found that through the Code 12? Have you found that through 
the experts that you've talked to, what are your views on that now? I, th I, um, I think we are. And I think that that concept, I'd say in the last five years, has become increasingly popular between the biggest scientific minds in that discussion. Um, obviously, I know Elon Musk's involved in that discussion, but I'm talking quantum physicists are having whole panels about, you know, it's more likely now because we're creating simulations of our likeness into video games that are becoming so real that we can feel their existence just as much as uh, if something created us, uh, which is a, is a very big theory by Nick Bostrom, Oxford uh, philosopher, who talks about the ancestor simulation, that the that the whole universe is is one simulation after another, and we're in one. And the the only reason that I think that we can even have this conversation, because if we were simulated and we started asking questions, we we, we would be reprogrammed, right? Someone would <laughs> shut down our, our we'll just like all of a sudden not know how to all speak right. English. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna Imagine go that happens in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> well, that would be dramatic. Very exciting. People would be like, what happened? We just both forget how to speak. Yeah, we got reset. just start talking about cookies, and that's the end. That's it. <laughs> start <laughs> counting our blinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually forgot what I was going to say. Now I think it, I think they got to me. Um, yeah. So the only reason why we can even have this conversation, I think, is because um, because. The simulation wants us to know that we're simulated. And why? Because we have to progress past our existence. That's that's the next tier. That's what Nick Bostrom talks about. That then we become the ancestors. And then we create simulations, right? So that we understand our place in the universe. And then we understand what's simulated us, right? Like, so it's this, like, I'm not saying if I agree with the whole theory, but yeah. the only reason we can have it is if we're ready to progress past it. And that that is what I think the message is. It's not, we don't need to be something else. We just need to expand more of ourselves into the existence that has been created yeah. for us. And that goes, that just got me thinking, if the ancients knew this information before, they were also sort of poking the veil of like, you know, what is beyond this simulation? What is beyond this reality? Some of these sim um, civilizations fell. How can we avoid that, you know, that falling and use this knowledge to empower us and help us tap into the ultimate human potential that, you know, going from the third three strand DNA to the 12 mm -hmm. strand DNA that not only in, in the movie you talked about, but also this has been talked about, you know, through the a book that has largely impacted me, Bringers of the Dawn, a channeled book by the Pleiadians, uh, Barbara mm -hmm. Masiniak. So mm -hmm. how can we avoid the mistakes that these ancients made with this knowledge that they had and go toward the new epoch, the new era that we're going into? Yeah. That's a lot. And I think it, it's going to, I mean, I can tell you what I know right now and, you know, maybe in, by the end of this year, or even like six months from now, I'll find more information. But I think that the most important thing is to really start to look at all the information that's out there, all the esoteric information, all the ancient information, 
And um, what I'm asking people to do is look at it from a different lens. There's a code in there on, on how to control your existence and how to um, be bigger than what you are. And, and all of that, this whole community of different thought processes is included, right? So it's not just the ancients knew, it has everything to do with all the things that people practice and putting them together with knowledge of, of what the ancients left behind. And what the ancients left behind is basically, I believe, a way out of our current structure. And the only way that we can see that is if we are in the energy of that other existence. And it goes back to that technology, that understanding of, of nobody can really have that power unless they're symbiotic with it. So how do you become symbiotic with it? It's, uh, it's going above, you know, you said to me, you know, about, you know, how do you know if, how do you protect yourself from, from energies? Uh, this is, this is the greatest, this is where human potential is so important. Really understanding the most important thing that has ever been said is know thyself because you are an individual creation within the large system. And if more of us are getting in tune with what that is, not the things, not the, I'm doing things to be better, but knowing who you are and, and being able to expand that is part of this new expansion. And what the ancients left behind is not only technological blueprints for how it works and where to go and how to look for it, but also how to operate yourself. And that's where the book of the 12 gates comes in, where it's not only a hero's journey, but it's like, you must surpass your fear about this. And once you do, you go to the next gate. And isn't that what life feels like? You go to a yoga retreat and you're like, I'm finally at peace. And then some, you come back two days later and somebody pisses you off, there's the work, right? Yeah. Back to gate one, you gotta go back. <laughs> <laughs> until you've gone through those those pieces and um yeah that that you know and you know what I you know what I hate when I say that I know that it it's 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 disheartening sometimes for people because they want like a to b to c to d to e it's all there it's just you all individually have to do that work to be part of the system be the monkey washing the the sweet potato and that becomes the thing that gets into the consciousness yeah and um and the ancients left that behind so i think really studying all of that is important we have so much stuff there's so many amazing researchers you just mentioned uh robert grant um that that have all these blueprints for stuff but we cannot access this until we are symbiotic with its nature yeah. and our understanding of aliens and other existences, this is all part of that. It's becoming symbiotic with um, this other existence. And uh, that's what the ancients left behind. And the more we understand it, this is something I learned from actually Dr. Joe Dispenza. The more we, we visualize it, we understand it, we get the science of it, we get the technology, we understand how it could be part of us. We then can, can merge ourselves with that existence. And, and so education, and working on thyself is the key yeah. to, I believe, the way out of our current simulation. Hmm. 
And they've said if you want to hide something very well, hide it in plain sight. That is where so people, true. Where people would never think to look. And I'm also even thinking, even in the hieroglyphs, the Egyptians showing their pillar of Osiris, what if actually they were depicting a sort of internal technology that we have to learn to use from within? Because there are already people mm-hmm. that know how to communicate interdimensionally. And they've been mm-hmm. on the show, Lee Harris, mm-hmm. Wendy Kennedy, channelers, mm-hmm. people that can access information from different fields of information, not just this current simulated reality, but from beyond. Like, what if the technology is already here but it's just within us and we haven't learned to tap in because we haven't broke through the limitations that were put onto us whether it's from you know we're talking anunnaki beings we're talking like way way before the genetic engineering and now we're just uncovering what is the true potential of mankind when we get to the 12 sort of strand dna that we've been talking about as well yeah um yeah where do we start with that one (laughs) (laughs) what is 12 what does the 12 even mean um the 12 um not only we talked about it in quantum physics and how structures work right but um according to to dr jerry who i interview in this documentary he talks about the existence that he's discovered that at one point we had a 12 strand DNA, we are coded for 12 strand DNA. And now we're only at three. So at some point in our history, our human potential was lowered. Now, now one of the things that uh, that is coming more to light, and will probably in the next couple of years, is that when people, and I know this sounds very metaphysical and not scientific, but it's becoming scientific, like especially in the next couple of years, I guarantee. When people focus in such a state of ecstasy, uh, joy, you know, that feeling of love, when they're able to focus in that, they're actually able to restructure their body completely. Now, this is scientifically coming out in the next couple of years. So right now you're thinking, I'm definitely crazy because I count stairs and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but like, come on, but I'm telling you, all these research papers are coming out. Well, you mentioned Joe Dispenza. That's exactly what they're what, we're looking into. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so, so from that, what you have to think, you have to think, okay, who did that to us? Okay, so then something messed with our DNA. Was it the Anunnaki? Okay, maybe. But what if... We all were 12 strand DNA. A morphogenic field was created and slowly we dissolved all of that by ourselves because the consciousness suggested we should. Think about that for a second. Mm. That nobody took it out of us. We agreed as a being to take it out because the consciousness took us down into that level of thinking. Now, if you think that way, your consciousness can then get it back. And, you know, spiritual teachers will say, um, you know, it's really hard right now because, because we're in this, this level and it's, it's hard to break out of it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I do, I do, I don't disagree, but we need to try because at one point we, we, we tried, uh, we didn't try and it just kept depleting. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I don't know. Think about that concept for a bit. Think about it like somebody created the field. Yes. But what if we depleted our DNA? So at one point, humans did have a 12-strand DNA or were coded for 12-strand DNA. Now we have three. What if we could have that back? And it just takes more people to start to think that way, to start to become part of that community, that process to change the field into more uh, human potential. And I believe that's where we're going. And this really connects a lot to what I'm reading and researching in my own way through I'm just now reading uh, Paul Selig's new book with the guides and they say that humanity has collectively agreed to go through this ascension process which is exactly what you're talking about of what if we're collectively agreeing as a species that what has been working in the past no longer is working for us maybe right now we're going through things that are bringing up the shadow as well so it can be mm-hmm. seen and re-seen again in a new field in a new in a new light and that's the new earth that a lot of different teachers are talking about Eckhart Tolle the new earth mm-hmm. the what is the earth beyond the simulation beyond the matrix if you were to maybe fantasize for a moment, what do you think that world would look like? Um, you know, I I always hated that question because then you build this utopia and then and then it just But the best the best answer that I heard about this that I started to really think about how this would change is that Michio Kaku, I interviewed him. I've interviewed him several times, but he has a, he's got several books. One of the books he talks about how we are at a zero civilization. And for us to get to a one civilization, we need to be able to harness the power of the sun. And that is understanding a little bit more about how the universe works. Now, if we could harness the power of the sun, there would be, there wouldn't be all this. Some people have energy and some people don't have energy. Some people have nice cars. Some people don't have nice cars, right? There wouldn't be any of this because everybody would have energy because it'd be supplied just like rain comes down, right? (laughs) Full abundance. Yeah. Full abundance. Right. I mean, I was going to say water, but water is becoming a commodity on the planet too. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll stay there. Especially um, that Fiji, that Evian, yeah, like those, exactly. those brands, oh, those are the best ones. That's <laughs> <laughs> your sponsorship. Um, what in mind. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. So harnessing um, the power of the sun. Yeah, so what would that create? That would create resistance. We wouldn't need to be at war with different people about different things for resources and then mask it with belief systems, right? We would be, everyone would be supplied. There would be, this is according to Michio Kaku, these are not my words, um, there would be less of a government influence and there'd be more of a community aspect. People would be living not in a one world civilization, because I know that scares people that were like under one one rule and that kind of thing, but, but it would be more of humanity, humanity's needs are met, all the basic needs of every human being are, are supplied on this planet. And we as we as a race move forward into the next phase of humanity. And there's still people that have that live over here that practice this and people that practice that over there, but there's no need for having conflict because everybody's needs are met. 
And that, mm-hmm. that to me is the next level of us existing as a human species, because then, um, and I like Michio Kaku's version of this because it gets into the structure of humanity within space time. Then we would move into a, a two civilization, which means that you would be, you'd be spreading out into other planets. You'd be spacefaring. But we're not doing that until we can actually understand a little bit more how the universe works, harnessing resources and energy and working as one, as one race, one species, not one race, one species as, as human. We're human. And, and there, there we can expand out into those other existences. And uh, to me, you know, I don't want to get, of course, I want everybody to live happily and love and all that kind of stuff um, <laughs> and, and live an amazing life, everybody on the planet. But I would start to say from a journalist standpoint and then even bringing in science, like having every human's need, basic needs met, that's a good place to start. That's a good place to start and eliminating all the conflict that would cause, um, that is, I feel, created by lack of and creating belief systems to then fulfill the lack and the belief systems driving uh, violence or thought processes and all that kind of stuff, which has been happening since who knows when. Yeah. And, and in that process, not giving the power away, because a lot of people might hear that concept and be like, yeah, the government should pay us basic income. So we're taken <laughs> yeah. care of because they have the power and they, you know, we put it outside. But what yeah. if it's just encouraging you know, people and even the next generations to see new solutions. Mm-hmm. And there probably will be, just as we're talking about this morphogenic field of consciousness, new sort of innovations, technology that get implanted in different humans around the world so we can build new technology that has been hidden for so long. You know, you look at civilizations like Atlantis, the stories we hear about them is that they, they had this down, but they misused the technology. So I think we're here to do it all over again, but in a different way. And, you know, mm-hmm. as you said, like to, even to end this, um, start wrapping it up, your bio, the first thing is truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> so that literally sums up the whole the whole <laughs> conversation. Like truth is stranger than fiction. That's um, true. <laughs> Alyssa, we end every podcast with a segment called The Final Trio. So they're just uh, rapid fire questions that you could answer in any way that you want. But before that, before you get all prepped up, um, where can people find you? Where would you send them to link with your projects, your upcoming projects, your contact, everything? Where would you send people? Um, So my production company is called Hathor Studios. You can always check us out at www.hathorstudios.com. That's H-A-T-H-O-R like the goddess studios.com um, code 12, the movie, which we talked about most of this podcast, I'd say all of it. Um, you can, you can find it on Amazon prime to watch it. We're also creating a summit that'll launch probably in the beginning of December. So we'll have not only the movie, um, but we'll have all the other uh, interviews. We'll have two, two to three hour interviews with everybody, the full interview that did not make, the movie um and you will be able to find that on code 12 themovie.com that's gonna be the the summit or yeah okay yeah okay yeah amazing 
Beautiful. Yay. Okay. So final trio. The first okay. one is, I mean, I always say rapid fire, but you know, you can, you can take it in any way that you want, because this is a kind of a, <laughs> a hard question. Um, so you found, you know, through your research, speaking on code 12, so many different fields, so many different approaches, ways of thinking, but I wanted to know what were the themes that you found throughout everything in, in all of this, where does it all connect? It all connects to 12. It all connects to 12. It all connects to a structure that is how space and time works, how your thoughts work, how everything that exists in your body, how everything that exists outside of your body works. And that is this code. Everything leads to that biologically, universally, uh, religiously, spiritually. It all leads back to this understanding. And what is your current understanding of what is truth for you? Mm. <sighs> truth. Um, well, there's not just one truth. There's many truths. Uh, and that is, that's, that's the truth. <laughs> many truths make up the whole truth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, if, uh, if we are a dodecahedron floating in space, and there's a million other dodecahedrons floating in space, just think about we are many truths within the truth. And um, I think when you embrace that, you stop looking for one, and you realize that they all connect back to something else. Yeah. And you and can't even say that's, that's the truth. Because that just gets you into attachment. So mm. I would say there's many truths yeah. to the truth. I read this in the Da Vinci Code where they describe that, you know, this is speaking on, on religion or beliefs that people grasp onto too tightly, is that it sort of acts like a finger pointing at the moon. And people, let's say the truth, like the truth is the moon in this mm -hmm. metaphor but there's always a finger pointing at it and people tend to look at the finger and mistake it for the moon. But huh. really they don't see the moon because there is, mm -hmm. there is not one truth. It's just, we mistake, you know, it's our truth. So we're looking mm -hmm. at our finger pointing at it, but we're not seeing the whole. So I don't think we'll ever be able to see the whole because this is a universe that in our current singularity consciousness for an individual, person is a lot to understand we might get snippets of it from time to time but i think it's when we start connecting the dots as you are doing right now we start seeing the bigger picture we might start seeing like the moon come out um so with that said the last question is called the time capsule question we ask this at the end of every mm -hmm. single show and it gives us the opportunity to travel out a little bit into the future about 15, 20 years down the line. And I say this because it's going to be a time where the younger generations are going to be stepping into more leadership positions around the world, whether that be the next generation of scientists, spiritual teachers, authors, investigators, journalists, the whole thing. And you had the opportunity to leave behind a time capsule for these leaders. And they would open it in 20 years down the line and they would have equipped with them in this time capsule the tools 
the knowledge, the wisdom necessary to be able to carry humanity into this new earth that we're headed to? What would you include in that time capsule for these leaders? Um, the designs for this technology and how to train yourself to be symbiotic with it. Mm. That is what I would include. Yeah. And on the top of the time capsule, there's a question for them that you would leave behind. What would you ask or sort of a contemplative, reflective question for them? Mm, that's a good question. Hmm. Wherever you decide to take this technology, is it about expansion of the human species or control? Huge. Mic drop. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much uh for people who don't know this is not the first time we've collaborated and we will down the line announce big uh, show some big you. big projects that we've been we've been uh working on for for a while now um and i'm just super grateful for your presence for seeing me uh for giving me this opportunity uh thoroughly enjoyed so much the new movie and i know you know what you're headed to now next in this new chapter just you know i'm telling the world wait for it because it's gonna it's gonna blow people's minds so i appreciate you a lot and sending so much love awesome appreciate you too you are a genius and i cannot wait to announce the show we have with amelia we have to wait though yes very soon <laughs> thank you